This is McLean Mannix, and you're listening to Pack Center. What up, Wolfpack Nation? It is the host of Pack Center, Garrett Hirschberg, here with my co-host Kevin Finkler, and we have a special guest in studio today, Austin Paschke. Welcome, guys, to the show, or welcome, Austin, to the show this week. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, now, Nevada is coming off a very tough loss to Boise State this weekend, but this is something we can't hang our heads on. We have to rebound and focus on next week's game against Hawaii. And this was a game that coming into it, I thought it was going to be a blowout to a certain degree. I didn't expect a four-point uh, point differential. But the game was close for the first half, and then in the second half, it was just all Boise State. They controlled the ball all in the uh, second half. Nevada only had three possessions in the entire second half. Now, what were your guys' thoughts on the game? You know, it was definitely surprising. We talked about last week how we kind of thought this was going to be a blowout for us. And it's kind of interesting, you know, a three-point three point differential, or four. actually four-point differential, is amazing. I mean, that first half, we were right there the whole time. Um, it was crazy to watch. You know, I went into the game happy because it was homecoming, figured, oh, we're going to get blown out. You know, I'm just going to hang out with some friends. And, you know, it turned into an actually a really, really, really good game. Um, it seemed like Boise State's quarterback was not on his game uh, that Saturday. Obviously, him with him throwing three picks, that's kind of something unusual for him, uh, which meant our defense actually showed up pretty well, as, as well as our offense did. Yeah, that second half, we didn't have much possessions. You know, as you talked about, we only had three, but we did end up having 10 points out of those three possessions. So, I mean, that's something definitely that we can – you know, move on from and, you know, take advantage of. We did stop them in the fourth quarter, you know, not allowing any points, but obviously we didn't have any either. So that kind of sucked as well. Yeah, I think the uh, four-point loss to Boise is um, definitely surprising. I went into it as well thinking, you know, I was kind of worried about how we were going to do. But, I mean, you look at the fourth quarter, no one scored. We lose by four points. We're a possession away from winning the game. So, I think we did very well against a Boise State team that um, has been successful this year. So, uh, overall, I think Saturday was a win for us. Nevada's defense was the star of the show today. The offense was mediocre at best. Uh, Ganji, 24-42, two touchdowns, one pick. Not the greatest numbers. You'd like to see the completion percentage a bit higher. Just Nevada struggled to run the ball. It, it's, a, it's just a fact. 24 rushes for 82 yards. In one touchdown, you're averaging 3.4 yards a carry. Uh, Toa Tawa had nine rushes for 16 yards. It's not very good. We're not we're not used to these numbers from Toa. We we've seen him in the past. We saw the Air Force game. We saw the Toledo game. Toa was a machine, and it just it seemed like Nevada just could not get the running game going. Looking at the receivers, uh, McLean Mannix uh, had a very big game: four receptions, 109 yards. And a touchdown, including a 50-yard touchdown, which he did a very good job in space getting using his speed to get past defenders on a little slant route like what we see Odell Beckham do in the NFL. But I think one thing to note, the, the defense looked really good. They forced four turnovers, which is a bit surprising for a Boise State offense that coming into this year, if Boise State won, went, uh, went undefeated, they, they were – contending for a chance to play in a power six bowl game but that did not happen they lost a couple games before this and i think nevada this was the nevada had a chance to win we just 
Couldn't pick up yards at the end of the game. Yeah, definitely. It just goes back to, you know, that they are, you know, the better team and ended up squeaking out the win against us. Obviously, um, we could, you know, obviously hold our hats on that. You know, we kept up with them and only kept it a four-point game and actually had a chance at the at the end of winning it, obviously letting them get that first down where they'd be able to run out the clock kind of sucked. Um, but definitely our defense was incredible. Like you were talking about, we had four turnovers from them. I mean, Barber had those two interceptions. You know, Malik Reed had that one sack, and then Sable had the other interception. So definitely going into this next week, you know, that's something that the coaches can talk about is our defense did play very well. They've been playing very well these past couple weeks we've talked about in prior shows. Unfortunately, it's just our offense isn't showing up, obviously, Ganji had an all right game, you know, obviously two touchdowns, one interception, um, but he needs to start stepping it up. Or obviously the rushing, Toa is just, you know, a really bad week. I don't know what's up with him. Um, uh, he is a freshman, so it is starting to get towards that later end of the season. So we'll see if this is just a fluke or, you know, this is something that's going to stay. Hopefully it is just a fluke. Um, but it's definitely a lot of things we can work on this week with the offensive side. But I think this week um, we can talk about that the defense did do very well. Yeah, I think defensively we have a good foundation going into Hawaii, especially coming off of that Boise State. Even though uh, it was a loss, I think our defense proved that uh, it can hang. Our running game is something that we definitely need to fix going into Hawaii. We can't we can't have 90 yards rushing or whatever it was going into Hawaii just can't happen. So um, I think our offense steps up and we get a W next week. Now looking at some of the key plays, uh, there were multiple, multiple red zone turnovers, which ultimately killed Nevada. Kelter Moore fumbled and the 99-yard pick six. Here's what Coach Norvell had to say post game about the red zone turnovers. The red zone turnovers, I mean, you just – so difficult to come overcome that, you know, especially when we get the ball from our defense and defense gets a turnover and gets us great field position. We get down inside the red zone and we, you know, the pick six in that situation is just, it's, it's really hard to overcome. It's a 14 point swing. And so, you know, when Kelton going in, you know, Kelton's been one of our most reliable runners, you know, running hard in that situation. We just got to do a better job securing the ball. That's been a issue of ours the last few weeks. So looking at these turnovers, these turnovers are an easy way to kill a drive. The defense forced forced turnovers, but the offense was not able to put points on the board, which I think killed all momentum. And especially when you have a ninety, when Ganji throws a ninety-nine yard pick six, it's tough to rebound from that. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, like you were talking about, it kills drives, it kills momentum. And, you know, you get this, you know, you're driving down the field, you're going all the way down, and then, unfortunately, Ganji throws that pick and they, you know, pick six. Uh, that definitely does kill a team. It kills, you know, um, their high hopes. You know, they're being confident, they're driving down the field. And it's just, it's unfortunate when those things happen. Uh, that's something that, you know, like Norvell talked about, we got to work on doing that, you know, not giving up costly turnovers when we're actually, you know, making the momentum on the field and making, you know, strides. Obviously, you know, turnovers are going to happen in football, especially at this level. It's just how it is. These guys aren't professionals, but you have to start, uh, you have to start learning how to limit them, especially Ganji does, start limiting them and limiting them to the point that it's not going to be 
you know, a pick six or a pick six all the way down on the field when you're almost, you know, about to score. And that's just – it's unacceptable, honestly, at that point. Uh, I think the biggest point is who we're playing when we have these turnovers. Boise State's not the type of team where we can just turn the ball over, have a 99-yard uh, interception TD, and look, try to win the game. It just can't happen. Going into Hawaii, I think that's a little different task, but we still need to cut back on those tu- those turnovers to ultimately um, get that W. Now, we mentioned Ty Ganji uh, coming into this week, Ty Ganji not being – Healthy, uh, he still isn't 100% healthy. Here's what Coach Norvell had to say about QB1. Ty's not 100%. You know, he's our senior. He's our leader. He's not going to get a chance at these games anymore. And um, But he was healthy enough to play, and he had a good week of practice. Tried to manage the things that he could accomplish, and you know, I thought I thought Ty gave us a chance. I think he, I thought he gave us a chance to win. He made some big plays in the game, and uh, came close on a couple throws that could have been big plays. But uh, you know, overall, we you know we just a little bit short. I was proud of how he played, though. Now, I do think I do think Ganji's injury definitely showed well. It showed him not having much mobility throughout this game, which we usually see with Ganji, not to the mobility of Christian Solano, but we, we, we see Ganji, he has the ability to step up in the pocket and escape defenders, and that's something we didn't see at all. Ganji was limited to just being a, pack of po- uh, a pocket passer, which he's not bad at, but that's just not his strong suit. And so I think that as the time goes on, I think if Ganji is able to be 100% healthy, will officially get that offense rolling again. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's a big part of his game is, you know, he has those strong and fast legs down on him. And, you know, when you're limited with that leg energy that or injury, that contusion that he had to his thigh, it kind of limits his mobility and what he's comfortable doing. Obviously, he's not comfortable at being a 100% pocket passer. He likes to move around. He likes to get outside and, you know, um, you know, extend a play and maybe runs run for the first down or for a couple extra yards. So it kind of limits him in his own game, and I think it just makes him a little uncomfortable, and it kind of, you know, makes him a little bit antsy and, you know, nervous about, you know, being in that pocket and not being able to go out because he's so afraid of maybe, you know, injuring himself again. So definitely we'll have to see in the coming weeks when he's fully 100% and he, you know, he builds back that confidence that we can see the offense get back to where it was, you know, starting the season. Uh, yeah, I think the injury didn't set him back too much. Uh, looking at how he was playing against Boise, it looked he looked good, he looked natural, but we saw less of the you know the rollout plays, the bootleg plays to get him on his feet. Uh, we saw less of those play calls, more him staying in the pocket. Um, he, we he's shown that he could be successful from the pocket, but I think he is most successful when he can get out of the pocket and get at those. Uh, rollouts, those play-action passes, and I think that's something we didn't see against Boise that hopefully if he continues to keep getting healthier, we can see against Hawaii. Yeah, and I think, uh, I don't know what status Ganji is at. It was still unclear if Ganji was going to play this week. He practiced all week. Same thing as what happened with the Fresno State game. He practiced all week and didn't play. So I don't know I don't know how healthy Ganji is. I don't know the status, and it will be interesting to see, like, because this does truly affect his like mobility. We saw him like there were no, there was pretty much no mobility with Ganji this week, 
And I think if you're if you really want to run this Nevada offense effectively, there has to be a mobility with the quarterback. And so I think it'll be interesting. It, it's going to be interesting to see what because there's been no timetable set for oh how long until he's fully healthy. So it'll be interesting to see if he's fully healthy for the Hawaii game. If not, how much longer will he be not a hundred percent? Yeah, definitely. That's something we got to talk about is the timetable. You know, we don't know how long, much longer. I think we're just going to have to wait and see. Maybe it'll be next week against Hawaii. Maybe it'll be the following week against San Diego State. So it's just something that, you know, we have to look for. And, you know, one of those times when he's going to be playing, all of a sudden we're going to see him just, you know, run down the field for 15, 20 yards and go, hmm, he might be back. So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be something that we're going to get uh, verbally told by the uh, by the coaches or by Ty himself, but I think, uh, like you guys were saying, I think it's going to be one of those times where we see him, whether it's against Hawaii or whether it's down the road, run, break that run for 20, 25 yards when he's scrambling, and we're going to be able to see that Ty is eventually now fully healthy, and that's, uh, that's going to be a great sight to see. Now, one thing Nevada did happen with struggles was with uh, holding on to the ball. Uh, Nevada did fumble the ball multiple times, or we mentioned that red zone. And I just think that these turnovers uh, kill all momentum a team has. And this is something you heard what uh, Coach Norvell said. But it's something that we've – Nevada struggled with turnovers all year. So I think if Nevada – Nevada's key to success is if you have, like, maybe one turnover, one or two turnovers a game rather than three, I think Nevada's going to be put in a good situation to win. Nevada didn't com- commit a turnover in the second half, unless if you count that fumble at the end of the game, which Nevada recovered on the last Hail Mary attempt. But Nevada played smart in the second half. There was a, at the end of the game, there was a fourth and five play, which Norvell decided to punt on. Now, that was a risky call because it is fourth and five. Had it been a fourth and three, I think it would have been a no doubt call, uh, no doubt uh play call rather than pun but it's 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 situations like that why norvell is a head coach in, uh, for a major d1 school i think norvell's decisions are respected and we have to look at it being like if he doesn't have confidence in a play call to pick up five yards then don't run it oh yeah definitely i don't think we've always talked about you know i don't think we've ever questioned norvell's intelligence when it comes to football and play calling this man knows what he's talking about. He's been around the block, you know, coaching D1 schools. He knows what he's talking about. And, you know, it's things like that that, you know, you see in college a lot sometimes, and, and you see it in the NFL too, you know, fourth and five. They're like, yeah, we'll go for it. And then it ends up biting them in the butt because they go for it, and that just gives the other team great field position, whereas, you know, Norvell knows, no, I'm going to let my defense work. I have faith in my defense. Let's punt the ball away and, you know, let's get the ball back and not let them have this opportunity. So that's something that, you know, we got to be very thankful for is we have a head coach that knows what he's doing. He has the wisdom and the knowledge of coaching for many years, you know, and knowing what what to do in which situation. Yeah, I think it comes down to um, having faith in your in his defense. Uh, defense played well the entire game, I think, fourth and five. Like you said, trying to get his defense on the field, showing that he has faith in that. And um, But I think it comes down to me, the biggest thing is that fourth quarter. I understand that we had no turnovers in the second half, but uh, going into the fourth quarter, only being down by four points, you have to put some numbers up. You have to put the ball in the end zone to get that W. Um, going scoreless in the fourth quarter was a huge letdown for me, and I think 
it might it might have changed with that fourth and five decision, but um, I guess shoulda coulda woulda last week. But we'll see how uh how we see how it plays out going into Hawaii. So with that, looking ahead at our schedule, we now traveled very far west to uh, Hawaii. This is a nine o'clock kickoff, so not very fun uh, for. The people staying up, looking at looking just looking at the numbers beforehand, we are three and a half point underdogs, which is interesting to see because Hawaii is six and two on uh, on the year. They're coming off a very bad loss to uh, BYU, but their quarterback might not be healthy. Cole McDonald, their their young freshman stud quarterback, uh, has looked good throughout the year. They just, I, I just don't know if he's going to be 100% healthy. He's in the same situation as Ganji. To the degree of injury, I don't know what uh, Cole is dealing with, but hopefully uh, Nevada can come away with a win. As we've alluded to on the show before in years past, head coach for Hawaii has ties to Nevada as Nick Rolovich is their head coach, was the offensive coordinator under Polian. So I think it'll be very interesting to see these two high-scoring teams deke it out. Yeah, definitely. It'll be an interesting game. You know, looking at Hawaii's past games, all but about two of them they've scored in the 40-plus points. So it's definitely going to be a high-scoring game. Their offense with that stud freshman, like you were talking about, is just having an amazing season. Uh, it's unfortunate to hear that he's dealing with injury just like Ganji is. Um, unfortunate for them, kind of lucky for us. Uh, so we'll have to see, you know, what level he's at when it comes to this Saturday. Uh, that kickoff time is definitely going to be a little interesting for people watching back here in Reno. Uh, a lot of people are already going to be, you know, parting at that point. So, you know, combining the both of those. Uh, it'll be definitely interesting to see if our defense still steps up this game and limits their scoring ability. And then hopefully our offense can step up and actually, you know, score like we're supposed to be scoring. Yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting game. Uh you know, the Wolfpack traveling to Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii's a 6-2 and two team. They're a very, very good team. Um, but I agree with the defensive point. I think our defense needs to step up, and if our defense doesn't step up on when we travel to Hawaii, I think it's going to be a shootout. Both offenses are high-powered. Um, yeah, I think it takes our defense to step up to really uh, get that W this weekend. I think uh, this is going to be a very interesting game because looking at Cole McDonald's stats, he's thrown for 2,348 2, yards already, 26 touchdowns, three interceptions which is very impressive for an eight-game span. But I also think another matchup to look out for is the Nevada and Hawaii both have stud slot receivers. And ours and McLean Mannix, Hawaii has John Yersua. John Yersua has uh, 64 receptions on the year for 890 yards and three t- 13 touchdowns. So just looking at the basic stats, not even watching a Hawaii game, Hawaii throws the ball a lot. This is something we've seen with Hawaii in their past dating all the way back to 10 years ago with Colt Brennan. So this is a team that we expect to, them to have throw the ball a lot, and I think this will put a lot of tests to see how the Nevada corners do. The Nevada corners and safeties have done well over the past few weeks, but I think this will be the ultimate test. We haven't seen an offense like this since Toledo. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see if those cornerbacks and safeties step up uh, like they have been. Uh, it all comes down to, like we've talked about in past weeks, Garrett, is, you know, sometimes uh, we talk about, you know, whether both sides of the ball are going to show up. Um, obviously, if the defense shows up like they have been showing up, 
um, will be fine. But it's still without the fact that, you know, we need to have a great offense. We need Ganji to put up those points and, you know, outscore the other team. Because at the end of the day, the defense can hold them uh, to a certain amount, but they're still scoring points at that point. If our offense isn't scoring anything, you can't win a game. It's just not how it's done. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Mannix can definitely get a lot of receptions from Ganji in this game. Uh, it'll be a great matchup to watch. Um, and hopefully, you know, the array offense that we, we've talked about this whole season, Garrett, that this is how we're supposed to be playing actually shows up, you know, today like it did in the early weeks of the season instead of these past couple of weeks where we're, you know, barely squeaking out a win or barely losing because, you know, our offense just isn't, you know, showing up to the point that it needs to be. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, I think it's going to be a shootout, but I really like how our team's positioned to play um, this week. Uh, we have Barber sitting back in the secondary. He has two picks last week. I mean, going into an air raid style offense, I think this is suited perfectly for him to get another couple picks. Um, you know, if our defense steps up, holds them to a couple touchdowns, I think our offense is high-powered enough to come in and uh, beat them this weekend. Looking at Hawaii, Five out of the eight games, I've allowed 29 points or more. One of those was San Jose State. They lost 44-41 to 41 in five overtimes to San Jose State. Now, San Jose State's it's the laughing stock of the Mountain West. There's no doubt about that. But coming off of a very tough loss to BYU, I don't know how they're going to respond. Hawaii's defense isn't very good. We'll, 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 we'll just put that out there. They're not very good. They allow more total yards per game than Nevada. But one thing I think Nevada is going to have to do is utilize their running backs, utilize their great receivers, utilize their uh, playmakers in space. Nevada has so many people who can m- make you miss in space, whether it's Toa Tawa, uh, Devontae Lee, Jackson Kincaid, Kelton Moore, uh, McLean Mannix, Caleb Fossum. And then if they need it, they have a big target in uh, Elijah Cooks, who they can throw, as we saw in the Boise State game, there was a nice fade route at the at the end of the first half, first half to Elijah Cooks. So I think Nevada does present an interesting matchup for this Hawaii defense because this Hawaii defense isn't very good, and Nevada's Nevada's defense on the on the on the flip side is actually really good, and so or it's better than the offense is looking at statistics. Nevada is eighth in the nation in uh, third down uh, opponent third down. Uh, completion percentage and they are eighth in the nation in tackles for loss per game so if nevada's d-line can force pressure make cole mcdonald feel uncomfortable in the pocket i think they'll they can they can come away with a win but i think the safe bet for this game will be hammer the over the over i think will definitely hit i don't know what what the over is yet the line has not come out yet but these are two teams who can score a lot of points oh yeah definitely um Definitely a team that could score a lot of points. Um, we'll have to see. It'll be interesting to see what the over is, like you were talking about, because I feel like this over-under is going to be very high. Um, and if you are putting anything on this game, I would probably promise just put the over on this. Um, just a friendly, you know, betting tip from here us at, you know, Pack Center. Um, but it's going to be an interesting game to watch. Um, I'm looking forward to turning it on at 9 p.m., you know, hopefully, you know, partying with uh, – Parting with my boys and watching, you know, Wolfpack pick, pick up a win here. 
Yeah, I think even with the late start, this is a must-watch. I think it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fast-paced. But no doubt about it, it comes down to our defense. If our defense can perform or if our defense can step up, we will be able to get that W. But it's going to be a fun game, late start. Uh, but it's going to be a really, really exciting game to watch. I think one thing interesting, uh, one one last thing, uh, is that it'll be interesting to see because looking at the Wolfpack's practice schedule, they normally practice in the mornings, 9 a.m., but this time for the Hawaii game, they're changing their practice schedule this week so that they're practicing at 9 p.m. So I think it'll be interesting so they get acclimated to the time to the time change because although it's 7 o'clock there, 6, six 7, I don't even know, 6, 7 o'clock there, it's 9 o'clock here. So I think it's an interesting sh- approach from the coaching staff that you're, you now have 12, day, 12 hours of football in class. Like, sure – Sure, if you have morning practices, you just get that done, and then you have class the rest of the day to study. But now now you have practice at 9 p.m., which I think will be very interesting to see how that goes for this team. The team leaves Thursday for Hawaii. So it will be interesting to see how they get acclimated to the uh, to the time zone. Oh, yeah, definitely. It is definitely a smart move by Norvell and the coaching staff to do this just to get their you know players ready for the late start. Uh, it'll be something a little bit of adversary adversary you know as they get acclimated to the different time change obviously it's only like two three hour time difference so it's not that big of a deal but still getting them used to the later time um definitely it, honestly i think this works um they could start looking into this for the later weeks you know because usually our games are at seven o'clock as it is so just you know maybe thinking about this for the future if this does work out for us um maybe something to think about yeah, I think it'll be interesting with uh, practice going late. It'll be interesting to see how the athletes go from practicing in the morning, getting all their energy out right away, uh, and then now having to spend their full day of classes and, pract- and uh, you know, just spending their whole day and then having to go to practice. I wonder how that will affect their practicing tempo and their, um, their overall intensity. But, um, yeah, I think it's a good idea just to get acclimated to the time change for sure. One thing to add before we wrap up this section is that it was just announced that the time for the San Diego State game, which is on no, uh, October 26th, is now at 7.30 p.m. So it'll be interesting to see. This will make it three straight 7.30 games uh, at home. And with with this being said, we are going to jump into a uh, quick break, and we'll come back with some basketball talk. Thank you for listening to us on whichever platform you may be listening to us, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, or Wolfpack Radio. With all that's happened this pack past week, I'll just I'll just say it. Eric Musselman's a lunatic, but he's our lunatic. Him riding dressed as one of the mascots on a motorcycle to start the silver and blue scrimmage. I would have never thought this. It was it was crazy crazy. I had no idea what was going on. And then he pulls off the head and it's it's Good old Eric Musselman, but he's a lunatic for this. 
He's definitely a lunatic. Obviously, it's something that we didn't expect. But if you look about, if you look at it now, it's totally something he would do. That's just how crazy and enthusiastic this guy is. Um, it's great to have a coach like this. Uh, it's awesome. You know, he you know bodes well with you know the students and the faculty and the whole university as well, and just the fan base in general. It's great to have such an energetic team with an energetic coach like he is, and it's something that we can definitely get behind. Yeah, I think Nevada simply cannot lose Eric Musselman. For that reason only, what other coach is going to ride on the back of a motorcycle right. into the silver and blue scrimmage wearing our mascot's uniform? Like, he's crazy, but he gets the fans going, he gets the students going, he gets the team going, and ultimately that's what it takes to be, you know, a top 25 program, and that's what he's doing with our team, and that's why we are ranked top 10 in the nation right now. There's one thing Eric Musselman does is he draws the attention of the national media. We had I, I remember looking at there's so many people who are interested in Nevada, watching the silver and blue scrimmage to see how the team plays, to see everything that went on. And it's drawn the attention like like national media, and I think it's great. Like If we lose Eric Musselman, I think we lose all identity. We lose our identity. Eric Musselman helped put Nevada on the map like with his antics and whatnot. Him, him after the Mountain West game against uh, Colorado State going shirtless, well, uh, both years against Colorado State to end the season. So I think it's Musselman is a character, and like he's the perfect character to fit this Nevada team. This Nevada team is is destined to be really good this year, and I think one thing that will make this team even better is the coaching. And Eric Musselman is arguably the perfect coach for this because Eric Musselman does have experience in the NBA. He does have success with what happened last year. He got all of his players back except those who graduated. So I th- I think it'll be a very we've stressed this on the show a lot. This team will be very fun to watch and the silver and blue scrimmage was re- was a fun thing to attend. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. Um like we talked about like you talked about and like you talked about Austin, they all Musselman has character, and that's something you need as a coaching staff and a coach, head coach in general, is you need character because, you know, you need to have an identity as a team when it comes to a national basis because you can look at teams and you can look at these players, and obviously a lot of these players are going to be gone in two to three years because graduating or they went to the NBA early. Um, One thing that does remain and stays constant relatively is the coach, and when you think of coaches in NCAA history you think of the ones that there were there longest and the ones that were crazy enough and did things like this you know you'll think about Musselman you think about Coach K you'll think about Tarkanian you'll think about all these great coaches of years past and current years and that's what you think about that program you think I mean look at UNLV I'm, I'm sorry I'm sorry we're talking about UNLV but if you think about UNLV you think of Tarkanian that's the first person that comes to mind and I think Musselman's at that point right now when you think of Nevada yeah currently we think of the Martin twins but 20 years down the line you're gonna think about Musselman I mean, the Martin Twins are going to do fantastic things in the NBA, but it's going to be Musselman because he's not going to be here. He's not going to be here just for like one or two years. No, I think he's going to actually be here for another 10, 15 years, and he's going to build not necessarily a dynasty, but an amazing legacy here as a coach. Yeah, I totally agree, Kevin. And I would I would even go on to say de- uh, dynasty just because the simple fact is Eric Musselman looks like he is truly loving Reno. It looks like him and his family love Reno, and I think they truly love the Wolfpack. And I totally agree to the point where the coach 
ultimately makes the team, and Muss is doing an, a fantastic job building this team to, I mean, you look where they were four years ago, and they you look where they are now. We're a top 10 preseason team, and that is largely the majority of it due to Eric Musselman, and if he sticks around, Nevada basketball is going to have a bright, bright future. There's a lot of skepticism as well. Like playing devil's advocate, sure the right offer might come in and must might take a power five job, but whether or not this this all depends on how far Nevada goes this year. I think this that can stem uh, stem a lot of offers. Like we really didn't see much offers when Muss uh, the first year after he took Nevada to the tournament. We didn't see any offers this year, but I think just being the devil's advocate, I think Muss should leave. Like. Imagine he'd be making more than just a million dollars a year. So I think Nevada I think Nevada needs to prove to Muslim that they're worthy of uh being there. Now the silver and blue scrimmage was not the fullest. It was not max capacity for uh attendance in the Virginia Street Gym. But I think that the fans did show enough uh support that Mus is now in tr- more even more intrigued to stay. Now I don't know with his with him and his family whether or not that's that's a big impact. But I think Reno, if if Musk stays, he could build a dynasty like what Gonzaga has with Mark Few. Yeah, you look at it and you see, you know, two years ago we had the we had the UCLA, we had the Cal offers to Musselman, and, um, you know, everyone was kind of worried if he was going to stay or if he was going to leave, and then he signed that extension. But I think you're right, Garrett. It, it comes down to how this year is going to go. We have the arguably the best talent we've ever had in our basketball system. And um, if this year doesn't live up to the hype that everyone's uh, putting around it, then unfortunately we could see a Musselman uh, leaving Reno for one of those Power 5 schools like UCLA where he could be getting much more money and um, better facilities. But, yeah, I I think it depends on this year for sure. Yeah, it definitely depends on this year. It also depends on what the university is willing to do to keep him here. Obviously, we had him sign that extension uh, a couple years back, but we need to do things like we just did with the women's basketball coach and, you know, lock him in for years to come, lock him into a really, really big contract and lucrative contract that he's willing to stay. Because, yeah, support from the fans and things of that, it's really great for Musselman, especially just who he is as a character. But when it comes down to it, he's got to do the thing that's best for his family and for his career. So... Locking him into a contract like we just did with the women's basketball coach is something definitely that needs to be happening. Another thing that you just pointed on is, you know, if he left for a you know big five contract, he'd probably be getting better facilities and things of like that and probably more financial support from the university. I think the way the basketball program is going right now, that I think that that could be happening for us at the university if the basketball team performs as well as we think it should this year. I can definitely see an upgrade into our facilities, even though we just did an upgrade with Raymond Sessions uh, Performance Center. But I think we can even get better, you know, equipment, especially from when it comes to donors and boosters. And, you know, the university in general is if we perform, they're going to be willing to spend the money. Whereas, you know, if you look at football, they don't really perform as well. And that's why they don't have as nice of facilities. Yeah, we just got them, you know, the Lombardi, you know, weight room that was but that was for all athletics. You don't see a dedicated, you know, set space like we do for the Raymond sessions. I mean, you have the practice field, but that's not really to the caliber as the Sessions facility is. So definitely in the years come, if we perform this year, I can definitely see within the next year or two 
They're going to lock him into a more lucrative and long-term deal than he already is in right now. And then I can definitely see an upgrade in our facilities just, you know, with the amount of money that's going to be coming in from revenue. Getting back to what we initially were talking about with the Silver and Blue game, we didn't know the teams. When, when we put the episode out, we didn't know the teams yet. So the teams were for the Sage Brushers, uh, Nisway Zuswak, Cody Martin, Corey Henson, David Cunningham, Jalen Harris, JoJo Anderson, Trey Thurman, and Trey Porter. For the Desert Wolves, which were captained by Jazz Johnson, you had Caleb Martin, Jalen Townsell, Jordan Brown, Jordan Caroline, K.J. Himes, Vincent Lee, and Zach Worm. As someone who was there, Austin, who stood out to you? Who made the biggest impact? Um, For first-year players, uh, not— Or just, just players in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think— the two that come off the my mind straight away is uh, Trey Porter and Cody Martin, and I understand that there's incredible hype bet- um, behind his brother Caleb Martin. But Cody, let on the scrimmage, Cody went absolutely insane. He dropped twenty something points. I mean, he was looking like a man that couldn't miss out there. Um, definitely something different from last year. Cody can shoot. We always we always knew he could shoot, but he was looking like another man. Uh, on the scrimmage, so definitely Cody Martin, and then I would say Trey Porter as well. Uh, Trey Porter, he's incredibly tall, incredibly big, and he was grabbing up rebounds left and right. He was passing it from the paint. I mean, Trey Porter was looking like a big man that um, could help us win a national championship, no doubt about it. I think it was interesting to see uh, with the losses of Kendall Stevens, Hallis Cook, or Josh Hall, and, and fan favorite Charlie Tooley, who would step up in, uh, in their place. And it looks like we have some really good shooters in Nisra and Jazz Johnson. Caleb Martin has developed his game. Cody Martin developed a jump shot, which, which was going to be absolutely huge for the, off, for the Wolfpack. But I think one, the most important thing is who's going to take over that fan favorite role that Charlie Tooley uh, had. I think it's going to be Jalen Townsell. I, another person competing is David Cunningham. I think fans are going to get really excited when because Jalen Townsville is very athletic. He can dunk, and that's something when Charlie Tooley got in and he would shoot, the fans would get hyped for him. So I think with Jalen, I think fans are going to get a lot more hyped for him dunking rather than Charlie Tooley attempting a three and missing. Yeah, definitely. It's a, uh, <laughs> definitely. A fan favorite, the fan favorite role is a huge one for the Wolf Act. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who's going to take over that role for Tooley. Um, and we'll just have to see, you know, when it comes through the season. Uh, like you're talking about, you know, you can't miss an off a three like that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but it's 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 definitely a big role when it comes to, you know, the Wolfpack fans and who they're going to favor and, you know, a fan favorite. Yeah, I think uh, Jalen Townsell, uh, he did – I mean, his dunks are going to be pretty nice. I mean, seeing him in the dunk contest, that was that was really fun. He did a great job. Um, I think one of the fan favorites, too, uh, Garrett spoke about this, would be David Cunningham. I mean, I think he's going to be a great addition off the bench. Uh, local, uh, he's from Sacramento, walk-on kid, but I think he's going to do a great job, and I think he could definitely fit in that fan favorite role. So looking at the game itself, the Sagebrushers wi- did win, which was surprising because the Desert Wolves had the Mountain West Player of the Year in Caleb Martin, but I, th- I think it was interesting to s- watch the game because it was it was a very good defensive game. It showed uh, how Nevada is going to be really good on defense this year, and that's something surprising to see because we thought this they would take this game very lightly. It'd be a lot of scoring, like like typically like an NBA All Star game. 
but it was not like that. You saw people going hard, uh, trying to get boards, like try to crash, uh, crash the glass, and but it was it was a fun game. Caleb, uh, Cody Martin led the game in scoring uh, as he probably won player of the game. It wasn't there was no thing announced, but at halftime of the game, that's when they had the three point contest, and Jazz Johnson was your winner. So I think Jazz Johnson can fill the role of House Cook this year, Kendall uh, or not uh, not House Cook, Kendall Stevens this year, Marcus Marcus Marshall the year before as someone who can just shoot the ball lights out. And I think with Jazz and Nizre, we can do that. I think these two have the combination to be two of the highest made three-point combinations in the whole nation because I think that's going to be their role on this team, just the, the three-point shooter, just knock it down, uh, find them in the corner, just have them knock it down. And I don't I don't know if there's going to be much more of a role for them outside of that. Yeah, I mean, you look at Jazz Johnson, uh, transfer from uh, Portland, and um, I think he's going to have a huge role this year coming off the bench. Uh, I mean, you look at Cody starting at the one, uh, Caleb starting at the two, so I think Jazz is definitely coming off the bench, but that doesn't mean that his role is uh, diminished at all. I think he's an incredible, incredible three-point shooter, and when he comes off the bench and he makes those shots, I think he's going to be um, contributing a lot, a lot of points to this team. Yeah, it'll do, definitely be interesting if we have that combination for the three-point. Um, that's something that we had in you know years past, especially lot, last year as we tried to knock down a lot of threes. That kind of what's killed us, you know, in a couple of games of the tournament. And you know, we were trying to shoot those threes, and a lot of them weren't coming in, especially against Loyola, unfortunately. Um, so it'll be nice to have that. Um, definitely talk about like Garrett, what you said earlier is it wasn't a lighthearted game. You know, they actually took it very seriously, and you know, it showed a lot of the defense that hopefully we're going to see for the rest of this year is something that we can, you know, definitely work on, you know, and have a strong suit this year is our defense, you know, to go along with our high-scoring offense. Now, after the game, there was a dunk contest uh, between Jalen Townsell, Jordan Brown, Jordan Caroline, and Trey Porter. Now, the first round of the dunk contest was lackluster, to say the least. Not a lot of the players just dunking. The formatting was a bit weird. But in the end, Trey Porter did lose to Jordan Caroline. Who else? Who? I think he was the betting favorite. So who who would who would have won the dunk contest? But Trey Porter had a really nice dunk uh, where he jumped over Eric Musselman. He clearly jumped over him. He there's like about a foot from the from Porter to Musselman's the top of his head. To check out videos from the dunk contest, follow go to our Twitter account at Pack Center NV. Uh, we have videos of that dunk, and we also have the Jordan Caroline's final dunk as he won the won the overall dunk contest. Were you surprised by any of the dunks or the lack of? Um, yeah, I mean, the format was a little weird. I think giving him, like, three minutes just to do the best dunks you can, it got him, like, super tired um, in the beginning, and then towards the end of the three minutes, we kind of just saw them just throwing up whatever they could. Um, I'm some more surprised about the winner, to be honest with you. Um Trey Porter, I think, was just incredible with his dunks. I mean, the fact they jumped over Eric Musselman and just hung midair like he was just floating was incredible. Um, I think Trey Porter had my vote, but Jordan Caroline with that windmill 360, I think it was, it was incredible as well. So I'm excited to see Lawler this year. It's going to be jumping with the amount of dunks that we have in between Jordan Caroline and Trey Porter. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch uh, during the scrimmage for sure. 
Yeah, and I think you touched on it most is the most exciting thing that's going to come out of this is, you know, just imagining all the breakaway dunks we're going to have this season in Lawler and just watching the crowd just lose their mind on it. I definitely think, you know, watching the videos, Trey Porter definitely had a great, you know, performance. Um, I think he probably should have won out of it. I agree with you on that. Caroline did obviously have a good enough, you know, round to, you know, actually end up winning it. But I do also agree with you that the whole format was a little weird. Um, when I thought it was going to be a dunk contest, I figured it was going to be like an NBA style. You know, you get your one dunk to actually perform it, and, you know, they vote on that, and they keep going into the different rounds. I think that would have been a better, you know, system because it definitely, you know, lets them, you know, maybe probably perfect it a little bit beforehand, and they're not going to be as tired, and they can give their full energy to about three or four dunks instead of trying to do like ten in those three-minute sessions. So, that's definitely something we can think about in future years if we keep doing this, and I think they definitely will, you know, make it obviously, you know, more of the homecoming tradition. I know that they're trying to change on campus, so it'll be interesting to see in the coming years. But yeah, the most exciting thing is to see all the breakaway dunks that we're going to see this year, and hopefully we'll see Trey Porter jumping over some other guy, you know, probably a little bit taller than Musselman, but, you know, just posterizing him. So I think one thing to add is Eric. I don't know any other coach that will let, let one of his other players jump over him for a dunk contest. I think that was insane. I had no idea what was going to happen. When Moss was when they were setting this all up, I thought Moss was just going to hand him the ball. But no, he jumped clearly over him. And I think that got a lot of fans off off their feet and excited. But with, with the silver and blue game over, now we get into the bulk of our show, the bulk of the season. We get we've, Basketball's back. Basketball is officially back, and it all starts this weekend with a preseason game with a top 25 team in uh, the University of Washington. I don't know where they're going to be ranked. The AP poll has not been released yet, but I think it will be very fun to see a Pac-12 school, a top 25 school, come to Reno for an exhibition game. Sure, this game is this, game is this Sunday at 3 p.m., and I don't know if it will be a full sellout, but I'm projecting around 8,000 fans. Lawler holds about 12. I think it'll be interesting to see how this this game plays out. Washington is a very at a very good season last year. They went 21 and 13 on the year where they lost in the second round of the NIT to St. Mary's. So, I think Washington I don't know if Washington lost anyone. I don't know if they gained anyone. I really don't know anything about Washington basketball. And it's kind of hard to scout them uh, because this is their first preseason game of the year. This game is for charity. It helps the car fire uh, in Northern California. So I think that, that this is a great thing to do. And it'll be very exciting because this is the first time the general public will get to watch this Nevada team. And sure, we watched them, enough students watched them uh, Thursday in the Silver and Blue game. But this will be the first time that you get to watch Nevada play an opponent that's not wearing Nevada Wolfpack gear. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see them come together as a full group of play against, you know, a team that's not their own and a team that they've been practicing against, you know, for a couple weeks now and even months now. So it'll definitely be interesting. I love the idea that this is going to be a charity game, especially going to, you know, the victims of that fire in Northern California. Um, I know a lot of people here in the university were affected by that. They had family in Northern California dealing with those fires. So that's definitely going to be something, an emotional time for them going to that game. Um, and it's also great that this is Washington. This is going to be a top 25 team. Um, obviously, we don't know where they're going to end up yet, but they're definitely going to be up there with us in the top 25. So I think this is going to be a great test for us to start off the season to see where we're actually at. Um, 
hopefully we start the season on a very, very high note, and I predict that we will. Um, so it's going to be an interesting test and definitely um, give us a lot more credibility in the university. We usually don't have top 25 teams coming to play us. We're usually the ones going to play them. Yeah, I think that that um, that takes into consideration our, our shift in culture to the, to the basketball school. Um, I mean, like you said, Kevin, uh, not a lot of top 25 teams come to Reno to, to play scrimmage against us. And now this year, um, thankfully, we can. You know, we're able to see Washington, who uh, Andy Kratz has uh, 18th in his top 25, come to Nevada and um, play a scrimmage against us. I think it's going to be a great test. It's going to be fun seeing Nevada play someone other than their own team. Um, we're going to be able to see people come off the bench. Uh, we're going to see role players. We're going to see how the team can fit together and play during the season. I think it's going to be a great test. I'm super excited that um, – the proceeds go to a charity. I think that's really a really nice touch that you uh, basketball has been able to do, and uh, I'm excited to see the turnout, and I'm most excited to see how our team can do against top 25 team. Now, it'll be very interesting to see because if you watch the live stream or if you were in there, Nevada didn't have uniforms. They were wearing T-shirts and shorts. It'll be interesting to see because Nevada last year had 15 different uniforms, and it'll be interesting to see what the Adidas deal is like because – Looking at Norvell and the football team, their their uniforms are very bland, and Musselman would not like them. So it'll be interesting to see like what uniforms we wear. Like I, because I don't know in talking to people, I don't know if we have uniforms yet. And so that's that's something that's scary, especially with your season being less than a month away. Like the first regular season game being less than a month away. So it's not a very good sign. Yeah, I was hoping to go into the scrimmage scene a little bit of what Adidas can do with our basketball jersey options. Um, and then before the game, they you know they released what the players will be wearing. Again, like Garrett said, it was just T-shirts and shorts. But I 100% agree that going into the season, with it being a month away, we're having scrimmages this week and next week. Yeah, I am really excited to see what Adidas can come up with, but at the same time nervous because – like you said, with football, we see these all-white, all-blue uniforms that are really neat, really crisp. But like you said, Musselman is not is not the same as uh, football's wanting. So, you know, last year we saw all these different colors. We had the pink. We had the white. We had a bunch of different colors that came out. And um, switching to Adidas, I wonder how that's going to affect our jerseys for sure. Yeah, definitely. That was a big identity for us. I know, at least from a student's perspective, is all the different jerseys that we did have. I remember when we were talking about when we went to the tournament, we actually, I think Nevada Hoops had a poll of what jerseys they wanted to wear for the tournament. So that's something that, you know, we take pride in. Musselman definitely takes pride in is that, you know, we have an identity here on hopefully Adidas is partnering with the basketball team and Muslims probably working with them very well about trying to get, you know, creative uniforms and not these bland football uniforms that from the minute I saw them literally just looked like practice jerseys to me, which I was kind of disappointed with that. Um, and it was just, it was a honestly left a little bit bad taste in my mouth. Hopefully Adidas can step up their game and work with the university on this to get better uniforms. Um, but definitely it is scary that we don't have the uniforms yet. Um, maybe, they are just working on it in, you know, back rooms, and they don't want to let anyone know. And maybe Musselman's just trying to pull a lot of strings so, you know, we're not wearing bland, you know, pure blue or pure white uniforms. We actually have, you know, some, you know, character to them. So we'll have to see.
a few last points uh, regarding uniforms is that I think uniforms do help in recruiting. Like, I, I, a, a recruit might come in and, like, look at the uniforms and be like, I don't want to play in these. Like, you look at what happened with Oregon football and their combinations. Sure, we're not on that level of having over 100-plus different uniform combinations. But I think it does help, like, having, like, its identity with, uni- with, with basketball uniforms. And that's something Musselman did differently. Like, we had camo uniforms. We had state battleborn uniforms. We had pink uniforms, which, which were good, but not great. I don't know. I love the pink uniforms. It definitely was – I didn't see any other team have pink uniforms, so it definitely, you know – did uh create an identity for us and you know it's uh it raised a good cause i mean everyone hates on pink a little bit but you know what the saying is real men wear pink and the we're some real men on this basketball team wrapping up today wrapping up today's shows what are you guys prediction for the hawaii game hawaii game i am predicting uh touchdown after touchdown after touchdown high scoring game but i think that our defense is going to come up I think that we're going to have a couple interceptions. I think Nevada football is starting to click. Um, I think we take the W. It's going to be a high-scoring game, though, but I think our defense can step up, and I think we can take the W. Yeah, it'll definitely be an interesting game. I think it's definitely going to be a high-scoring game in probably the uh, you know upper 30s uh, and 40s. I think Hawaii is probably going to end up taking it. Um, just looking at how they've been playing, even you know with their quarterback not at a hundred percent, I think they're just going to outplay us. I think it's going to definitely be a shootout, and it's going to come to a last-minute field goal. I think Hawaii beats us by three. My predictions for the game: Nevada thirty-eight, thirty-five. I think Nevada. What you said, but I think it's the opposite. I think Nevada, mm-hmm. Nevada does edge out a last-second field goal to to beat. Hawaii. Yeah. Now, what are you guys' expectations or predictions for this first exhibition game against Washington? See, I'm going to have to go the other way. I think Nevada. <laughs> We're going to actually get the W in this one. Uh, it's definitely going to be a very interesting. I think it's going to be um, – it's not going to be a close game. I really don't think. I think we're going to easily take care of this Washington team. I think our defense is going to show up um, and you know hold them to not a lot of points. It's gonna. I think we're going to probably take care of them probably by like 15 points here, 15, 20 points. So it's going to be an exciting game. Uh, everyone's going to be packed in there. Garrett, I know you talked about we're probably going to get 8,000. I'm going to go around probably 10. We're going to go within 2,000 of you know um, 2,000 of the max capacity. Um, so I think it's just going to be a really, really, really fun game. Yeah, I'm excited to see the public come out. It's open to uh, not just students this time. It's open to uh, the general public. I'm excited to see the turnouts, but I do predict that we're going to beat Washington. I don't know how hefty it will be. I think at least by 10, but um, we can't forget it. This is a, it's a top 25 team coming into Reno, so um, I'm really, really excited to see how they're going to compete against a, a talented team in Washington. Um, I think our height is going to be the difference maker with Trey Porter, Jordan Brown. I think um, it's going to be exciting watching them play. And then our role players coming off the bench in Nizre Zuzwa, Jazz Johnson, uh, all these players that are going to be able to come off the bench and really provide for our team. I think it's going to be incredibly fun to watch our team work together as a unit and uh, beat Washington for sure. I don't know any – I'm not going to give a game prediction, but I think I'll stick with my number of 8,000 fans there. I think uh, – I don't know if full-season tickets are are going to be there because it is – it's tough on a Sunday. You're competing with the NFL. Uh, you're competing with church and other stuff. I have students studying. 
that they forgot to do uh, on the weekend. Let's be real. They're not going to be really studying. They don't start until 7. 3 o'clock, they're still waking up for that hangover from Saturday. Let's uh, be real here. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, but I think I think it'll be very interesting to see how the team plays. And that is all for this week's show. Thank you guys for joining me, and we will see you guys next week. 